This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design invests in building and teaching designers using the best tools for the job. I asked product designer Earl Carlson what he has learned about design since working at Facebook. Collaboration is such a huge part of the job here. It's more so a part than anywhere else that I've worked before, which is really incredible. Um, you get to work with a lot of really talented people and figuring out how you work best together. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Jopwell is looking for a product designer in New York City. And Buffer has a remote position available for a customer onboarding and engagement advocate. We also have job listings from indeed.com. So head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to let you know we are coming up on our fifth anniversary. Revision Path has been around for five years, five years, and we're going to have a special fifth anniversary episode on February 26th. Now, last year's anniversary episode, we did a mix of past interviews, but this year, I want our anniversary episode to be about you. Yes, you listening right now. This episode is about you. Do you have questions about the show? Do you have questions for me? Do you have questions for any of the 225 guests that have been on the show? Uh, send them to revisionpath at gmail.com and I'll answer them on our anniversary episode. We might even have a few special guests. I've got, you know, some things in the works here. Uh, I'll put a blog post up on the site with more information. But please send me your questions. Revisionpath at gmail.com. Now let's talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. So if your New Year's resolution is to learn how to code, then look no further. Glitch provides you with a platform to easily start creating anything from a simple website to a Slack bot to a web app using Node.js. Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. It's a new year, which means it's a great time to work on your email marketing efforts. Let MailChimp's pre-built marketing automation help you out there. Automations are like a second brain for your business, and they can do all the heavy lifting for your email marketing efforts so you can focus on what's really important, your business. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. Need cloud hosting or a dedicated server? SiteGround's got you covered. Are you hosting WordPress or Drupal, Magento or Joomla? They can handle that too. And with award-winning customer support and amazing uptime, you don't have to worry about hosting issues at all. 
Get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to senior UX design consultant and design educator, Regine Gilbert. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Regine Gilbert, and I'm a senior user experience design consultant, and I also am an educator. I teach at General Assembly, and 2018, I'll be teaching at NYU. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, we've had a lot of UX designers here on the show. How did you first get into UX design? I first got into UX design by doing some research. At the time I was looking into UX design, I was a product manager working at Michael Kors, and I knew I wanted to get out of the software world and more into the digital world. So I started taking classes here and there. I took a class through NYU's continuing education or their professional studies for web design. I think I created a website, a really crappy website in three weekends. And then I started investigating more and found General Assembly and ended up taking their part-time user experience design course, which was after work for four hours a week. Mm -hmm. And And how did that course go? The course was, for me, it was good. I would always ask for additional work, which was (laughs) annoying to my instructors, but I really enjoyed the process. And what I discovered along the way was that a lot of the stuff that was involved in UX, I had been doing previously in my project management, product management, and business analysis worlds. Now, we've also had uh, several people that have went to General Assembly before. Why did you choose them specifically? I'm imagining being in New York, there's probably no shortage of boot camps and, you know, sorts of programs that can help you learn this stuff. I think one... I had taken some of their workshop classes and I enjoyed them. I I thought the instructors were great. I also liked the environment. It was a welcoming environment. And so I decided that's why I decided to go. And so after you went through the UX program over at General Assembly, was it easy kind of now transitioning into it after you've had that education? No, it wasn't actually easy. (laughs) It was a little tough because I didn't have a visual design background. It was more, I was more of a business analyst. So I was, I had that and I was more of a product manager. So I had that experience a lot more of the analytical piece. So it took me a little bit of time to build up a portfolio. And then initially I did freelance work. I wasn't hired on to a full-time position, but that freelance work was amazing. So my first project, I got to work with Columbia University. It's called the Declassified Engine. It's the largest collection of declassified government documents and they needed help with one of their one of their pages and I knew one of the data scientists working on the project so he he brought me in so that was a really good first project for me to work on as a UX designer because it was a ton of data and mm-hmm. a lot of information to do a lot of information architecture to that was was good for me now, there's something you mentioned that I, I think is really interesting. I want to explore a little bit. You said that you didn't have a visual design background, and so that made it kind of harder to go into UX. I, I want to say maybe a few months ago, we had Timothy Bard Levins on the show who does UX work for Microsoft. And one thing that he was mentioning is he, you know, got into UX and basically his design journey took him from South Carolina all the way to Microsoft. But one of the things he was mentioning was how it feels like UX wasn't really recognized 
as quote unquote design because there was that lack of visual prowess or, or anything like that. Yeah, I agree with that to an extent because I felt when I would look at other people's portfolios online, like, wow, this is really visually beautiful. And I didn't have that aesthetic to to build something like that. But I knew the process. I, I understood the user experience process. My undergraduate degree, I studied human behavior. So I felt I had a good understanding of who people are and qualitative and quantitative research methodologies. But in terms of making something pretty, I just, that wasn't my deal. And how did you end up kind of acquiring that, that I, sort of design eye? I don't know if I have. I feel that it's an, <laughs> it's, a, it's an ongoing process for me to have an understanding because I'm not the person that, you know, understands colors and fonts and, and things of that nature. But I do understand layouts and how people behave and things like that. Okay. Do you look up any resources or anything to kind of, you know, keep your design mind new and fresh? Like to have those ideas top of mind? Yeah, I'm on the a lot of Slack, different Slack channels for mm-hmm. creatives. And I also Twitter is the best, I feel, in terms of my learning of what's new out there in the world. And I do look at Behance to see what's what's happening. And I, I forget the name of that. I'm using some browser that shows me, I think it's Motion or something like that, that shows me different creative things every day. So I am constantly looking at different things. Now, I want to go back a little bit kind of early in your career. I saw this in your in your bio, and I thought it was really interesting to explore. You made a transition from fashion design to UX. And I really am I'm kind of interested to know what prompted that switch. Well, there's a little in between fashion design and user experience design. I was also a, a business analyst, project manager, and a product manager. Okay. I, I actually moved to New York in 2005 to attend Parsons for their fashion studies program. And I completed a year of the program. And after that, I went and worked at Victoria's Secret as an intern in their swimwear, merchandise swimwear department. And after that, I got a job at the Jones Group, uh, Jones New York, which is no longer a company. But I worked as a technical fashion designer. And a technical fashion designer focuses on the fit of the garment. So essentially, a designer, a fashion designer will sketch something out. But then they hand that sketch to a technical designer because a technical designer has to take apart that sketch and figure out how that garment is made. Hmm. So I find that there's a lot of parallels between what I was doing as a technical fashion designer and a UX designer, because you essentially get this idea, right? And you have to break that idea into parts. So Hmm. I actually wrote a Medium article approaching UX with the fashion designer's eye, which has been, to this date, I get like, on average, about 15 reads a week, which I wrote two years ago, three years mm-hmm. ago almost. And it's it, because it is a similar approach, right? You start with the sketch, which both in fashion and in, in web design, you start with the sketch and, and it kind of goes from there. That is so interesting. I'm thinking of my, my mom and my grandmother. They're both seamstresses. And, and they, they taught me how to sew. And I remember thinking, how do they know how to like just sketch out these patterns. Sometimes they would have patterns they would get from the store or wherever, but sometimes they could just look at me 
and figure out, okay, I need to do this, 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 or whatever. Yeah. And then go get the fabric and just put it together. And to me, it always felt like it was, it was magic. Like my mom used to make, <laughs> she used to make costumes for me when I did school plays in elementary school and stuff. And I never knew how she was able to just like make it happen. Cause we were in a, like a small Southern town. You can just run to the store yeah. and buy, you know, the outfit that you needed. So it was all about putting things together and creating things out of nothing. And it's interesting how that parallels with UX, at least with what you were saying with like technical fashion design. I find that to be really interesting. I might have to have my mom read that article so she can get an understanding of like what it is. I mean, like I don't necessarily do UX, but she doesn't understand, I think, the whole digital and design space like I do. And I think being able to kind of link the two in that way would be pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And your mom's, it all boils down to, and I think so many things in this world boil down to math. And that's what it is, right? Like when you make a pattern and you make those measurements precise to fit someone, or you can look at somebody and tell what their measurements are, that's all math. Yeah. So it's yeah, pretty cool. Your your mother and grandmother were mathematicians and they didn't even probably realize Realize. I don't think I don't think they realize. And then me, I I mean, I, I guess I could say I'm a mathematician. I mean, my degree is in math, but right. I, it's it's so funny to to think about how all of this kind of kind of plays together. So right now you are a a UX design consultant, senior UX yes. design consultant. Walk me through like a typical day. What is it that you do in that type of position? Well, that type of position currently I am like a staff doing kind of like staff og. I'm I'm working for an organization that did not have a UX designer, so I was brought in to one kind of educate people on what user experience is because they're not familiar with it and to to implement some processes that that are not in place whatsoever. So they had no style guide. They didn't have a process of working with the creative team. There was a huge disconnect between the development team, the product team, and the creative team. So I am working to bring all those together and set up processes and hire a person, help hire a person that actually a couple people to come in and and work as a UX team with the product, with the dev, with the creative. That sounds like a lot. Oh, it's a lot. <laughs> well, when they told me, they're like, what do you need? I was like, I need more people. So yeah. I need you to bring in people so that I could essentially train them, not train them, but help them fold into this company and help this organization achieve their ultimate goal, which is to get a m- more usable products. When did you first get interested in design? It sounds like this was something that might have come a little bit later on in life. Yeah, I, well, I've always been interested in design. I initially, when I was in high school, really wanted to study fashion design, but my my parents were like, you're going to study business. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of put it on the back burner. And it was, I think, and I also I've written about this on Medium, but it was due to an, an ex of mine, his, his sister had attended Parsons. Okay. And she, when I hear stories of pe- when, when people really love something and then they pursue it, you know, they go to school for it and then they, they start learning, but then they get detracted from it for whatever reason. And they have that longing to do something but don't pursue it, right? And so they end up, for this particular person, I think for my ex's um, sister, she ended up being a secretary. 
and she wa- really wanted to be a fashion designer. And her, I saw her sketches. They were quite brilliant. So I said to myself, I've always wanted to, to study fashion. And so I decided that I was going to apply to Parsons. And I was actually shocked when I got in because it's pretty, it's like one of, if not the best design school in the world to get into. So I was shocked that I got in because once I got in, I, one of my friends had applied five times and been rejected five times. I think the sixth time was the charm for her. So for me to get in on the first go, I was thrilled. I was incredibly grateful every single day to be there. It was one of the toughest programs that I ever did. I, I didn't finish the program. I'm a a proud dropout of Parsons, but I am very happy with the education that I got there and the friends that I made while I was there and, Mm -hmm. and the fact that I was able to get a job, which is what you want to do anyway. So I wouldn't say it was a later in life thing, but it was definitely something that was always on my mind. And then I just decided to take the leap. Now, speaking of rejection, like you said, you mentioned your, your friend there, there's a post that you have on medium called Say Thank You to Rejection. Yes. I really empathize with that post. Can you tell the audience about that? Sure. So that was a piece I wrote on Medium, Say Thank You to Rejection, because I tell the story of my first year living here in New York, where I was attending Parsons. I was trying to find uh, work in the fashion world. I was working at a, a small boutique making 10 bucks an hour. And I was really wanting to to get in that fashion world. So I continued to, I was going to school, uh, taking four classes, which is four classes of part-time at Parsons. Four classes anywhere else is, you know, full-time <laughs> somewhere else. So eight classes is full-time at Parsons. So if that gives you any idea of how tough the program is. So I would get interviews because I'd apply for all these jobs And in my first year living in New York, I went on over 100 interviews and got rejected over 100 times. I couldn't understand it at all. And I was like, is it me? Is it them? What's going on? I was having little breakdowns. I started going for acupuncture for stress relief. And what I came to realize, and this was toward the end of that year, was that all those rejections that had happened were good. And they were good in that they were learning experiences and they were good in that I got to see all kinds of different companies and to see where I would like to be and where I wouldn't like to be. And I got stronger because of it. And so I think a lot of times when we look at stuff, we look at the negative side and then we tend to to play that over and over again instead of looking at what's good. And so that's why I say thank you. Because I don't know where I heard the saying, but it's like uh, rejection is protection and redirection. So hmm. that's how I feel about it now. Over a hundred interviews and a wow! I, I really, I really <laughs> empathize with that so much. That's I mean, why pers- if I, I don't get a job now. It's not a big deal to me whatsoever because right. it, then it just wasn't meant to be, and I'm okay with that. And also, you were able to find the lesson, I guess, in all of that, too. I mean, I think for some people that can that much rejection can really bog them down. But you were able to kind of extrapolate something from that that you could use to become better. Yeah. And I actually got an email from one of my former students who said I just she had just moved to Seattle and she goes, I just I've been applying for jobs and not getting them. and I just read your article. And thank you for writing this. I I feel so much better. 
And then a few weeks later, she emailed me and she's like, I got a job with Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So all those things didn't work out. So you could get that job at Microsoft. And I think that, that we don't look at things from that perspective. We don't look at things from the perspective of like, well, that thing I really wanted didn't work out. So then you kind of just give up. And then I think when you give up, that's when you lose. I think you just have to keep going. Yeah. What is it that keeps you motivated and inspired? Getting up in the morning, to be honest. I think that is like such every time I wake up, I'm like, wow, I'm awake. So what can I do today? Because not everybody gets that. And not everybody can get up out of their bed Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So if I can do that, then I'm going to make the most of it. What is the design scene like for you in New York City? The design scene in New York City is pretty active. When I first got into UX, I joined every meetup I could. And so I think there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of diversity in New York City. And I enjoy that there are so many events. There's actually a hackathon going on today. Uh, There's a monthly music hackathon that happens at Spotify every month. And yeah, it's really cool. And there's just always something going on here from the design field, like almost too much sometimes. And because I still have an interest in fashion, I go to anything fashion related as well. So Mm -hmm. I keep myself pretty busy, almost too busy, according to my (laughs) friends. I still want to find a way to like be in New York for like a month just to to soak up some of that, like to get a sense of what all those events are like and to just get inspired by the city. Every time I've come into New York, it's been maybe for about a week or so. And I'll see some friends. I may see a few things, but it's never been like an inspiration sort of thing. It's like, oh, this is nice. Now it's time to go back home. And you totally should. I mean, through Revision Path, I actually I got together with some folks uh, this past summer and we went in on a discovery of Upper Manhattan and, and looking at some, we actually met at a black owned business. And I think we put the picture up on the Slack channel. Oh, that's when, right. Yeah. yeah. So there's so many people to meet. I got to uh, give major props to you because through this channel, I've, I've met so many people, New Yorkers, non-New Yorkers. And, and one of my very good friends, actually, we've never met in person, but we met through Revision Path. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) My friend Trina. So, yeah, I think you should spend a month in New York. I think that would be amazing for just to experience it. And whatever month you come, there'll always be something going on. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to try to make that happen because, I mean, of course, I've interviewed a lot of people, too, in New York. I think it would be dope to maybe have some kind of like mini meetup if possible. Yeah, that would be great. Now, you do a lot of speaking and a lot of presenting. Uh, you know, we sort of talked about the Slack room. I know you're always kind of coming in there mentioning, oh, I'm speaking here or vote for, you know, my proposal here, this kind of thing. Talk to me about that. Like, why did you decide to go into the route of doing speaking and kind of sharing your knowledge in that way? Well, there's a backstory to it. Both of my parents are deceased and my dad was my best friend. And he was sick in the hospital. And I asked him, is there anything that you ever wanted to do that you haven't done? And he said he always wanted to paint. And I said, okay, well, I went out, I think I went to Marshall's or something. And I bought him one of those watercolor paint books that has the paint inside the book. And Mm -hmm. I left it at his house for him for when he got out of the hospital. And unfortunately, he died about seven months after that, that stay in the hospital. 
And when I was cleaning out his, his room, I found the book. And when I opened the book, I think I, you know, I expected to see a painting and there was nothing in the book. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, my dad died with those paintings inside of him. And I, I told myself in that moment that I don't ever want that. If there is something that I want to do, I will do it. And I was, I think it was 2016, I was at the UX camp in D.C. because I wanted to see Jared Spool, who's like a big UX guy. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to see him speak and see these other people. And I ended up sitting there and they said they gave everybody an opportunity to speak if they wanted to. They had a mm -hmm. topic. And so I can't even remember what topic I came up with, but somebody else helped me come up with the title. And I ended up speaking there at the UX camp. And from there, I said, I really like doing this. I want to do more of it. So how can I do that? And I started looking to applying for different things. And that's kind of how it happened. I, what I really like, you know, as I've looked through your, your speaking roster, which you have on your website, is that you're not just speaking to other designers. You know, you're speaking across different industries. I remember specifically when you spoke at the NABJ conference, NABJ, yeah. NAHJ conference. Yeah. Why is it important for you to be able to speak across different industries like that? It's actually through uh, this guy, Brian, I met at an Adobe event. I was jokingly saying, I'm one of the best speakers in the world. And he said, <laughs> and he said oh, you speak. Would you speak at the NAB, the regional NABJ conference? And I said, okay. And then I said, well, what, what do I want to talk about? I said, well, I, I have a strong passion about accessibility. I think that's important. I think it's important for journalists because, you know, I think people's tendency not to think of people with disabilities using the web is just, I don't know. I know it's a problem that people just don't think about it. So I thought it would be a good place to do that presentation. And, and that's what I spoke about. Talk to me more about accessibility. I mean, I know that for designers on the web, they know about, you know, making sure that they, you know, images have alt tags and stuff like that. And I know that's just a small part of what it is, but can you talk about what accessibility is and why it's so important, why there needs to be more awareness about it? Well, I think there needs to be more awareness about, about it because every single person is temporarily able-bodied. And I think that the the tendency is to just really make beautiful things. And I think it should be like make beautiful things that everyone can use. And so I feel one that I hear repeatedly that people, it's just something that people don't think about. They don't think that people who have disabilities might use their product. So that's mm -hmm. where I think number one, it just starts with a simple awareness of it too, it takes some education and people understanding who their users are and all of them and, and how they could possibly use their product, where they could possibly use it. Is everybody using a mouse to navigate your site? Probably not. I know people right. who are completely seemingly able-bodied but have issues and use foot pedals to navigate. Mm -hmm. So it's just for me, and I don't know if I'm answering your question 100% right, but that's my answer. But no, that makes sense. I mean, you know, like you said, we're all sort of temporarily able-bodied at some point, but also, you know, people are going to use your product in different ways. Right. Everyone's not going to interact with it in the same way. For some reason, I'm reminded of oranges. You know, like you get an orange from the store and it's the rind and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes, you know, you'll see 
oranges that have already been pre-peeled and pre-segmented and stuff. And they're whenever I see this happening on Twitter, it makes me angry because people are like, oh, I don't understand. That's so wasteful. But like <laughs> everyone doesn't have the dexterity to open the peel to get to an orange. People may not even have fingers in order to make that happen, but they still want an orange, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I think when we look at even the things that we text on a daily basis and texting was intended for deaf people, right? So it's some of these things that have been created that we use are good for everybody. And mm-hmm. I think, I just think that people, I would like people to think more about who could be using it, right? Because at some point, I mean, as we get older, sight goes, hearing goes, people's bodies don't work like they used to. So it's just something to always take into consideration, in my opinion. What would you recommend for designers who want to start learning more about accessibility and using it in their work? There are some great tutorials out there. Derek Featherstone, he's out of Canada, has some great stuff on Linda for accessibility. There's just look up the hashtag A11Y. You'll find tons of things. The UK has some great stuff. BBC has a great, some great guidelines. And the, actually the WCAG guidelines for, you know, international web content are being updated and hopefully should be done in the next six months or so, but they're available now to view so people can have an idea of what's coming for the new updates. There's a ton of stuff out there. And I know there are because I, I just did a presentation on this and I brought up some recent lawsuits that have happened. Like with Winn-Dixie, there was, that was a big deal because the way the law is structured now, it doesn't really cover the web because the ADA is 25 years old and, and the web wasn't really a thing back 25 years ago. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's just a ton of stuff out there. Now, speaking of presentations and teaching, like you said before, you also teach UX design at General Assembly, which is how you ended up learning about UX. What is it like there being an instructor as opposed to how it was when you were a student? Do you get a different perspective? I I get a totally different perspective because, one, I mean, I I remember sitting in that class and not knowing or understanding or having even a a notion of what a wireframe was. And I used to call them mock-ups, and I used to make mock-ups in Excel when I was a BA. Oh, wow. So, yeah, <laughs> that's why That's why I was like, oh, this is work I've been doing all along. It just wasn't called these things. Yeah. So for me, the perspective from an instructor, like being in the front of the room and being in front of these people who are there, who are hungry to learn, I feel super motivated to do like be my best for them every single time I can. I love watching students learn and I love to see when they get it. When they Mm -hmm. finally get that, oh, because design is a way of thinking. It's not just tools are going to come and go. I mean, people ask me, oh, are you going to teach this tool and that that tool? I don't teach tools. I teach you a way of thinking. So that's my biggest thing. When they get it, when they actually understand and start to think things through and start to really look at things from from the user perspective, that's when I, I get excited. I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit, kind of feeding into what you just mentioned there. What is your philosophy as a designer? My philosophy as a designer is to really observe first, Mm -hmm. because I think 
that to just jump right in without observing and without understanding is, it doesn't work for me personally. So I need to first have an understanding. Um, I'll give an example of this, my most recent consulting position. I came in and I said, I just need to understand who the user is, what's going on here, what kind of data do we collect, what's going on? And it really took me about a, a little over a month to collect all the information I needed in order to start to make some informed decisions. So mm-hmm. that's where I, I, I first need to have an understanding, and then I go from there. What piece of advice has stuck with you over the years? Like, as you look back through your career, what's really stuck with you? One of my professors, when I was, I did a project management certif- certification through NYU, and one of my professors told me to never stop learning. That if you want to always have a job, then you need to always be learning. And never, mm-hmm. never just stick with one thing. Keep learning different areas, keep learning different things. And I've kind of done that because the area that I was working in, although technical design is still a needed job, it's not as needed as it was because computers have taken over for a lot of that. And I've known a lot of people to have that, that have gotten laid off over the years. And so I'm, I'm glad that I have continued to learn and evolve my myself. And I think that's the best thing, the best advice I was given is to continue learning, continue evolving yourself. Is there anything that you regret not doing due to fear? No, I don't regret anything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because why bother? I mean, you either learn from something or you grow from it. So, and this didn't used to be my philosophy. It's just that I'm realizing that whatever decision I make at that time is the best decision I can make at that time. So therefore there's nothing for me to regret. Do you have a a dream project that you'd love to work on or that you'd love to like create or anything like that? My dream project would be to get more people who are disabled employed because they have some of the highest unemployment in the world. And I, I think that there are a lot of people who are capable of doing things are not given the opportunity to do things. So it's like my ultimate dream to make sure that that happens, that more people who are disabled get work. And now are, are there volunteer organizations and things in New York City that you work with that help with that? Yes, in the past, worked with New York Cares, and they do a lot. And I'm looking into seeing what other organizations I can be a part of. Where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? What do you want to be doing? Living in a villa in Italy. (laughs) 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 That's not, that's not a joke. In the next five years, I'll more than likely still be in New York city and hopefully being able to accomplish the dream I just told you about. My brother also uh, in the past has, has worked out of Las Vegas with people with disabilities and helping them install ramps and things in their home. So I'm hoping to have a collaboration with my brother in some form and to build something really cool and to empower people. Because I feel like people are constantly looking for inspiration. People are constantly looking for motivation and they already have it. And Mm -hmm. I, I just think people need to be shown that they have it. Nice. And now just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Uh, RegineGilbert.com 
is where you can find me. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at R-E-G underscore I-N-E-E. And I am so grateful for you, Maurice, and for Revision Path. I just have to say that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I just want to, of course, thank you for, for coming on the show, for sharing how you got into all of this from, I think what some people might not think is is kind of a traditional way of getting into design. You know, the, the good thing about Revision Path and about the people that I've had on here is that I'm able to show the diversity and what people might think is just a, a monolithic group or set of people. And we all come into this industry in many different ways. We're all inspired by many different things. And I think the main thing that I really get from you and from what I've heard so far is that you have this really strong drive for service and for, for making sure that the world and the community around you is better than how you approached it. So I really appreciate a lot of the work that you're doing. And of course, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Maurice. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Regine Gilbert and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Regine and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Facebook isn't just one product or one type of design problem, though. Their work transforms a number of industries from advertising, news and media, local business, video, and messaging. No other company designs at a massive scale like they do. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, I know if you're a designer and you've heard me talking about apps and bots and everything with Glitch, you might wonder if this is for you because you're a designer, you work in Photoshop or Illustrator, and the answer is yes. You know, too many coding tools put up barriers to creativity with a lot of complicated setup and features, and Glitch really lets you get started with no hassle at all. So if you see a project that you like, you can remix that project, you can learn how it works. It's pretty cool. So what will you create today? Get started at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. I mean, they've been supporting Revision Path for years now. MailChimp gives you the marketing tools to really be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. With different hosting platforms to suit every need, including managed WordPress hosting on all plans, SiteGround will not let you down, trust me. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. 
If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work that we're doing here at Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.